How are you? Can be better. You could be better. You can be better? How could you can be better? Can be better. <laughs> How could you be better than you are right now? Can't, not can. <laughs> or you can't be better. <laughs> okay, that makes it even better. <laughs> This I have to hear. Because I was waiting so long for you to come back. Oh, okay. So I was out taking care of some business, and now here we are recording a podcast, and life is good. Right. And I think we have the right person on the show because he can help us to. Well, Sana, this is a real privilege for us. This is a first for our show. It's like every single episode we've done uh, recently, we, we're having a first for our podcast. Recently, we had our first guest just a month ago. And then, but those guests were people that we've known. We interviewed two people that we knew in Vietnam. And then recently, we interviewed my father. So these are all people that we know. But this is our first time interviewing somebody that until about five minutes ago, we didn't know at all. That's the world of podcasting. You just uh, get to know people and you network. And um, lo and behold, here we are. We just met uh, Sari Ibrahim just a couple of minutes ago. And here he is on the call. He is the proprietor of thinkinglikeabank.com. I'm going to give you three guesses what that means. It <laughs> teaches you how to think like a bank. We're glad to have you on the show, sir. Hi guys, thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here and I'm glad to have met you guys a couple minutes ago to get to know you a little bit more. Fast friends, instant friends. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself. I know that you're a financial guru or an expert. You help people better their financial well-being. Tell us about yourself and a little bit of your backstory of, of where you got to where you are now. Yeah, thank you for that. So I grew up in Chicago, Illinois, and I was kind of introduced to finance or finance financial literacy. Um, when I was a senior in high school, we had to take a class to graduate. It was called consumer economics, and it was a very basic business class. I wouldn't say a business class. I would say more of a personal finance class. It was, you know, how to write a check, what is a mortgage, what is interest, you know, very basic stuff, but I think very important stuff. And I really enjoyed that class. It was my favorite class in high school. Um, I liked the subject matter a lot. Plus, I thought it was the most important class one would take right in, in high school because it's probably the most applicable, right? You know, finance, personal finance is a big part of our daily lives. It makes a it makes a huge part of why we decide to pursue careers, why we start businesses, why we invest money. You know, why we do a lot of things revolves around our personal financial decisions. So. At a young age, I knew I wanted to like go further into that type of career and and to help people with that matter. Um, I wasn't really sure what like kind of career that would entail, so I got my MBA. My MBA led me closer to the journey of becoming a financial strategist, and I, I had the honor of working at some really big insurance companies in the sales and marketing departments. Really getting to know people, getting to understand how people feel about money, how they think about money, that helped shape my career as a financial strategist. And then it led to starting my own business about seven years ago, financial asset protection. And then that led to the podcast, Thinking Like a Bank. And then that led to doing a lot of guest appearances like right now, talking about the strategies we help clients with all over the country. So glad to be here and glad to jump into pretty much anything you guys want to talk about today. All right. Well, a burning question. What is the number one stressor for the average person? Like 
Sana and myself. Number one stressor when it comes to money. I saw a crazy statistic. It was like 70 or 80, 70 to 80% of Americans can't live with, can't miss one pay period. Meaning that if they miss one paycheck, they're, they have to access credit cards, they have to borrow money, they have to tap into retirement accounts. That's how tight people are living. So I think that's a big stressor is that you have a job, you have your house, you have your family, you have all these expenses and just one paycheck could change everything. And and this is interesting because here we are in 2022 and, and it seems like prices are going up on everything. Uh, it, it's, it seems like it's very difficult to have the certain standard of living that we are accustomed to or that we think that we're entitled to as Americans. But yes. but it's very difficult to have that standard of living and create wealth, or not create wealth, but have a little bit of money in the bank. So how do you reconcile that expectations for your quality of life versus uh, avoiding some of those stresses that you talked about? Yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. It's a good point to make is how do we kind of live like, you know, financially independent or, or, or at least less financially stressed when we're in a hyperinflation period, right? Where like prices of everything are going up. So how, where's like, where's that balance? How do we, how do we make that happen? And I think that really there's a lot of ways to do that. I guess we'd have to take a step back, right? It depends on the person's financial situation, kind of what's happening, what's going on. I would probably want to introduce to 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 the client or to the audience listening kind of the idea of earning passive income, right? This is income that you don't always have to work for. It's based off of it depends. There's many ways to earn passive income, right? One of the ways is you invest in certain investments that pay you dividends and interest and kind of um gains out of those dividends or out of those investments throughout your lifetime. So it's more of a passive approach. And the other way to earn passive income could be that some businesses have like where you build up a client base, you have royalties, you have some sort of residual income based off of previous work you've done. Or sometimes it could be a combination of both. A lot of a lot of people have like multiple streams of, of income. And I think that's key. So that's something I would introduce to people. It doesn't have to be millions of dollars. It could just be enough passive income streams to meet your current expenses. I think that if like, for example, if somebody's expenses were like $6,000 a month and they figured out a way to make passive income to meet that amount per month, I think they'd feel like the happiest person in the world, right? That The fact that if, the, any, if they got a job, it would just be extra income. It would just be more money. And then they could not necessarily retire because a lot of people don't really want to just stop working and retire, but they also don't want to have to work, right? It's kind of scary. It's stressful to think that that if you just took a week off of work, you know, you could be laid off or you could be fired or you could, you know, that's very stressful. But if you're working for just because you want to work, because you want to interact with people, because you enjoy what you're doing and the subject matter and the things you went to college for or school for, then that makes life more exciting, right? So I would just introduce the idea of passive income to people. And there's so many different ways to, to get passive income, but that is one thing that we help our clients with. Well, let's talk about some ways to build passive income. Because yeah, yeah, when you when yeah. you say that, the first thing that comes to my mind is own real estate, which is great. I'm sure that that's wonderful. But yeah. there's there's got to be some ways to maybe maybe exercise some creativity, some of the just the natural gifts that we have to uh, generate passive income. If that question makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, um, I would 
there's kind of two approaches to generating passive income. There's the um, limited partner approach, right? Remember, this is where you're you're just in the background funding an investment or funding a concept. You're not directly involved or engaged in this investment. And then there's the active. So I'll, I'll start with the first limited side. So I'll, I'll limited. This is something that a lot of people do in real estate, and we've interviewed a lot of people on our podcast that that are limited partners. So what they do is. Let's say, for example, you are a full-time doctor or you're a full-time engineer or a lawyer or whatever. You're a teacher, college professor. You have your own job. You have your kind of your own skills that you're used to, but you also want to get into real estate because of the passive income and because of the tax benefits and the rewards that come with real estate, but you don't have the time to to do all to, to do that. You could be a passive investor or passive investor or a limited investor. This is where somebody else buys the property and you're merely um uh, a part owner like kind of like a silent partner, a part owner of that. So that's kind of one way that you could get into. And then also like if you go on your phone, for example, and you go to Robinhood or any of these stock apps and you buy shares of companies, that's also in essence, passive investing, right? You're not, you're not actively engaged in those stocks and those companies. You don't have to work at those companies to invest in them. You're just a, a passive investor. So that's something that kind of one way you can get into it. And it's it, a lot of people are actually shocked to find out that you can invest in businesses without being actively engaged in the businesses. And I'm a big fan of that because when you invest in businesses as a limited partner, it's very it's, it's advantageous for you. And the reasons why is because the most amount of so the risk you have, there's risk involved with everything, right? The risk you have on your end is the amount of money you're investing. So let's just say you invest $25,000. The worst case scenario is you lose twenty five thousand dollars. Your in, your investment loss is limited to your to the amount of money you invest. Whereas if you are an active owner or active real estate investor, the most amount of money you can lose in theory is unlimited. So, so that's something to so that you limit your losses by being a limited partner. Also, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to make any decisions. The only thing you have to do is evaluate the deal, make sure it's a good fit for you, understand what you're getting yourself into, understand the contracts talk to your legal professional, your tax professional, make sure it's a good fit for you. Other than that, the only thing you have to do is fund the deal. So that's a really powerful way. Imagine if you had a job, right? And you were you had some extra income and then you were able to use that extra income to fund passive investments. And then those passive investments start paying you back. Now you could potentially retire early because you have other sources of income and you're not relying just on the stock market, right? You're relying on mostly privately held businesses that are not necessarily correlated or tied to the stock market. So that's one way. All right. How about how about you? You strike me as someone who's probably done his fair share of investing. Mm -hmm. What what strikes you as a company that you want to invest in? Is it like are they do they resonate with you on a moral level or any kind of values or is it just this company can make me some money? Yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent. The the first thing I do is I put myself in. Like, would I buy this product or would I buy the service? If the answer is no, then I would never invest in it, right? So that's kind of, the, in my opinion, that's the first step is put yourself in, in that situation. Like, if you had an apartment building that you were going to invest into, ask yourself, would you live there, right? If the answer is no, I probably wouldn't invest there. Some people have a different view. Some people look at it as strictly financially related, where there's it has nothing to do with their preferences. But... It, if it, if it can generate a return, then they'll do it. I like to put myself in the shoes of the consumer or the client with that investment. It's like investing in a restaurant and that you don't like that kind of food or you don't really, you know, that I, I the first step is I'm, I want to buy that product or service. That's the first step. 
Another thing too, is I'm looking for stability. I'm looking for businesses that, that have been in business for at least a minimum of five years, because that's usually the fall off period for business. That's usually the failure point for businesses. Something like 90, something crazy, like 90% of businesses don't make it to a five-year mark. So that means that if the business did make it to that five-year mark, then it's probably, they're probably doing some really good things. They have a good, a good product, a good service. They have a strong client base. They're pretty resistant to certain market conditions. And then of course, real estate. So anything real estate back, I think I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, I like multifamily real estate, like residential real estate. Commercial real estate is really good. Assets that are hard assets, right? Tangible assets that you could um, get some of the tax benefits with that. So those are the kind of investments I like. I, I also really like private money lending. So what this means is this is a form of passive investing. So private money lending is like, for example, if a real estate investor needed $20,000 to put as a down payment or, or for renovation, they could borrow from you. You'd, you'd essentially be the bank in that sense. You, you'd, you'd, be, you'd take the bank's position, you would in, in loan the money, and then you would have a, like a outlined interest rate that you would earn back on that loan. So you could say, all right, here's 20,000, pay me back 10% interest only payments uh, per month until you pay back the loan plus like a fee for using that money or however you want to structure. So it's that's kind of the advantage of, go, of going private. There are no like, really there aren't any like, um, corporate rules right you are the corporation you are you are the bank so you make up the rules and i kind of just i'm a big fan of that kind of thinking not necessarily specifically private money lending but just the thinking process of you owning the investment you controlling the terms and it also helps the client too right it helps to, it helps the borrower too so i'm a big fan of the you know the independent business world of cutting out wall street cutting out large banks and then you taking the role of the investor or the lender well, this is a perfect segue to the next topic I want to cover, yeah. and that is how to think like a bank. And I'm sure yeah. you're you're in the financial industry, so I'm sure you've heard of Garrett Gunderson. Yeah, and of he uh, wrote a wonderful book years ago. It was titled "What Would the Rockefellers Do?" And I think the Rockefellers took issue with the use of their name without their permission, and so I think he changed it to "What Would the Billionaires Do?" It's the same <laughs> book, but he just changed. He just had to change the title. But people listening to this might not be familiar with Garrett Gunderson, one, and two, the concept of how uh, either an individual or maybe a family or maybe a, a, a group of individuals can pool their resources and in, in essence become a, a, a substitute for the bank so that, that their children or their grandchildren can borrow and, and, and invest in something, put their creative energies to use without making a bunch of nameless, faceless bank bureaucrat crumb jobs rich <laughs> speak to us a little bit about that yeah james you you hit the nail on the head that's exactly it's exactly what we do and that's exactly what we believe in so kind of to, to fill in the the audience uh what would the rockefellers do or now change to what would the billionaires do is a book about using a strategy that's been around for a while and it's about how it's called also family banking or private banking or infinite banking or bank on yourself. And it's a way for people to become their own sources of financing for families to take control of their own finances, to not have to rely on banks. And it's, it's primarily, if you read the book in the book, uh, he talks about the use of cash value, whole life insurance used for it to become your own source of financing. So that's exactly what we do. That's our, that's our core 
uh, vehicle, core financial vehicle that we use because of the tax benefits with it, because of the liquidity. And because like you said, you're not, you don't have to rely on faceless banks. Banks aren't, are tick, aren't typically the nicest companies. Uh, even, you know, Mark Twain has a quote and he says that uh, a banker is a fellow who will lend you his umbrella when the sun is shining, but wants it back the second it starts raining. And that means that banks typically only lend money to people who have money. But the second that that person actually needs money, the bank is no, the bank won't even accept that person's application, won't even accept that person's phone call. So, so that the point is to not put yourself in a position where you're relying on banks and to have your own, you know, uh, bank on yourself, right? To have your own um, system where you can rely on yourself and rely on your policy, your policies, your funds, your family funds to fund the things that you need and want. Mm -hmm. Well, this, what you're talking about requires a, a kind of a deviant way of thinking, not deviant, that's kind of negative, but divergent, divergent way of thinking. That's yeah. the word I'm looking for. Because, it, because I tried to pitch this idea to my siblings, and I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus, but they weren't receptive to it. They didn't understand it. And this is something that you would have to really challenge your own preconceptions and your, your own way of believing how the, the world works to embrace this. So what are some of the challenges that you encounter when people are, are attempting to uh, it, it, take this uh, roadmap for their finances with their family? Yeah, James, again, you hit the nail on the head again. So really Man, good I'm question. getting really good at this. <laughs> hitting the nail on the head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you know, when I'm introduced, like 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 in, in your situation, when I'm introducing this to clients, it's a foreign language, right? It's not something, it's unconventional. It's something that goes outside of the norm, right? The norm usually, or the like normal way of doing things with when it comes to personal finance is typically save your money, save cash, uh, pay off all your debt, get out of debt, and then just buy things with cash and then invest in the stock market, invest in mutual funds, pay off your mortgage. Um, that's it kind of like just bring everything to a halt and not have to take on any, take out any loans. That's kind of the usually the conventional way, the traditional way of, of personal finance, kind of the residual effect of the Great Depression, right? A lot of families who grew up in the Great Depression, that kind of thinking merged to the baby boomers and that kind of merged to the millennials and to today, to people today. So it's embedded in throughout the generations. And there's, there's truth to it, right? That there is a, a positive system there. It's a good system because you're not in debt, you're not paying interest, you're not stressed, but there's some fallbacks to it, right? And that is conventional finance doesn't always work. Like in 2008, a lot of people lost a lot of money in their mutual funds and their stocks and their 401ks, just like they were told to save their money. They were told to save their money in these accounts. They were told to defer taxes. They were told to do all these conventional things. And yet they had to pay the price, you know, on average, half people have people lost half their money in two between 2008 and 2009 as a result of the market crash people had mutual funds people had brokerage accounts stocks bonds these were not not bonds but mostly stocks and mutual funds and brokerage accounts these were heavily affected by the market by market conditions so the question is then is you know is there another way and the, the answer is yeah there is another way and to to go back to what would the, what would the rockefellers do I'm calling, even though it's not, that's not what it's called anymore. I like that name more. What would the Rockefellers do? Uh, yeah, you know, the, the book the book talks about what would they do. And they're not going to put their money in the stock market only. 
or just leave it sitting there. They're going to have their money sitting into these whole life policies. And again, it's outside. It's it's unconventional thinking. It's different, right? But it doesn't mean it's wrong. It means just because you haven't heard of something doesn't mean that it's wrong. So so I, I agree with you. It's very difficult to bring it up, bring bring this concept up, up to people and to kind of get them to think differently. But the math doesn't lie. The math is there, right? So if you understand math, you understand calculations, very basic calculations, you'll see the truth in this. So it's not like you have to just um, give somebody your word that's going to work. It's a proven system. It's backed by a vehicle that's been in, that's been around for over 160 years by insurance companies that have been in business for over 100 years. Um, by you know, regular regular. There's a lot of regulations behind insurance companies. There's a lot of logic behind this concept that one could really dissect and actually prove, and 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 test out to see if it's actually going to work or not. And it does work. It has the most guarantees. I have never seen anything that has, you know, any more guarantees than the use of a properly designed cash value whole life insurance policy. So I hope I answered, hope that answered your question. No, it, it was wonderful. It was your answer and we're going to go with it. Now we're running a bit short on time. So we have time for one final question. And Sana has been sitting here. Ordinarily, she's just this chatterbox, but she's been sitting there quietly Giving, offering silent support to her husband while he is navigating this interview. But I want to know if you could give a piece of advice to Sana, who just arrived from Vietnam into the United States. She's brand new. And Sana is looking to make her mark in the American economy. She doesn't, doesn't want to just have a job and make money and, and be able to help out with the finances, whatever. That, that's not her goal. She wants to build wealth. What is one thing that she can do right now? Uh, I, I grew up to an immigrant family. So kind of the everything I know about personal finance didn't really come from my family. And and, and the reason why is because I think the doing business or not doing business, but investments here in the US is completely different than anywhere else. I think that financial literacy in the US is really important because there's so many moving parts. We have credit, we have loans, we have uh, stocks and mutual funds and all, you know, so many things to to absorb. I would think, I would say that to the best advice I can give somebody is just invest heavily into uh, self-education and personal finance, not necessarily just, you know, um, like a traditional approach to, to learning about money, like a college degree, more of self-education, listening to podcasts like this, reading books, like what would the Rockefellers do? I would read other books similar to that. I can give you guys a list after after this recording, more books on that, but heavily invest into self-education because that's where I think the answers are going to be at. It's not going to be in the college. It's not going to be in the community college or university. It's going to be in these books that talk about real practical ways. And these aren't ways. There's a big difference between what Wall Street and what kind of the conventional way conventional methods tell you to do with your money they'll tell you pay off your debt they'll tell you invest in stocks and 401ks but what what there's, there's a big difference between what they're doing with their money so on our podcast thinking like a bank we we uncover those things we uncover what people what what the companies are doing with their money what the large corporations are doing with their money and how you can mimic those actions in your life you know even as a small business owner or as an individual you can mimic some of those things that large corporations are doing all right. Wonderful. Well, Sari, this has been just, just a blast, and I'm so glad that our paths crossed. I, I think it was just your assistant was on yeah. some website with 
podcasts that are looking for guests and and yeah. uh, it just worked out and it worked out really nicely. Now, if if you all are listening in and you want to check out some of the resources we've mentioned, uh, the webpage that we're going to set up is voshdan.com forward slash seri. So that's V-O-J-D-A-A-N dot com forward slash S-A-R-R-Y. <clears throat> and uh, we have been speaking with Sari Ibrahim on the Bavoshtan podcast. My name is James, and this is my beautiful wife, my silent partner at the moment, Sana. And uh, again, check him out, thinkinglikeabank.com. That is a great URL. I, I haven't listened to an episode of the podcast, but we're going to listen to one tonight. I'm sure it's wonderful. Sari, you've really hit a home run, and we appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for having me on. To get to know James and Sana on a deeper level and to learn how to support our little show, go to Voshdan.com. That's V-O-J-D-A-A-N.com.